Hi everyone and welcome back to The Selling Sessions, a podcast designed to help you sell your business, brought to you by United Capital, an investment company that could buy it. This week our host Paul McGilvery talks to David Ogilvie who is Head of Litigation and Employment Law at Turk and Connell with a discussion all about dealing with disputes in the process of a sale. This is an episode not to be missed, it's a great listen and we hope you enjoy it. As you say, I'm the head of litigation and employment law at Turk and Connell. Um, in my 30 years of a career to date, I have been involved in a huge range of disputes, uh, commercial contract disputes, for example, where companies fall out with other companies about the, the deal that they've struck in some way, whether for supply or, or purchase or sale, uh, commercial leases, um, shareholder disputes. And that's an interesting area that we might talk about a little uh, later on, if that's of interest to you. Uh, post-sale disputes, we've had a lot of issues arising post-sale where the purchaser uh, feels maybe they didn't get quite what they wanted and they want to call upon a warranty and an indemnity um, and all the issues that arise. And one of the areas which I'm, I'm pretty well known really is uh, where employment law meets corporate law. So where you're dealing with um, you know, um, chief executives and board level people who are shareholders, and therefore, there's probably a share a shareholders agreement that you need to have a look at. Um, there are directors, as well as the articles, there are directors. So there's all the rights and responsibilities of a director. And then there, there are also employees. So there's there's the interface between employment law and corporate law. And uh, I imagine that's of interest to quite a number of the, 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 the people that you're reaching out to through these podcasts. Yes, uh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, so I mean, absolutely. And, and, and a theme that emerges from all of that really is that um, what, what essentially I'm, I'm trying to do in, in, in trying to resolve disputes for people is, is I'm trying to protect their, their wealth in the company. I'm trying to protect their interests in the company. And typically our clients, our commercial clients will be companies that are owned by an individual or a family. And very often that family or that individual will see the company and the company's interests as simply being an extension of themselves and their own interests. And really what you're trying to do is to help them to protect that interest, that commercial interest by acting for the company. And yeah, and, yeah, and that's very much where Turk and Connell comes from, because as you probably know, as a premier private client firm, our, our role and our aim is to uh, help in high net worth individuals protect their assets and their and their interests. Yeah, I think um, you know clearly there will be many people that are, that are looking to sell their business, and you know, um, and like that, if they're, they're individuals or it's maybe a family-run business, or uh, or or it might be even uh, larger than that. But certainly, you know, they they, they want to to look at protecting their own interests, and of course, uh, you know, ensuring the you know continuity for the, the the company, and you know, and you touched on employment there as well. A lot of the considerations are you know on the employees of that business, and you know how. How we they get the best deal for for everyone that's that's involved as well. So it's it is a um, certainly you know you look for the win win as part of the the dispute resolution um, and of course uh, and move on from there. And um, you know as far as uh, our experience goes, you know we, we've we've seen 
things that, that have popped up and you know you, you you're able to then uh, get around the table you know talk these things through generally uh, which which is a good thing to do but sometimes it goes you know completely the other way you know and and these are the these are the times that you're, yourself you know um, and and you know specialist advisors like yourself are you know handy to have uh, during that process um i i, I guess that, that talks about relationships and you know why why are, are they so important when you're trying to get a dispute resolved so um relationships are really what everything is about in life. I mean, everything really has uh, behind it a, a relationship of some sort. And disputes, of course, have relationships behind them, sometimes relationships that have gone badly wrong, sometimes relationships that have not gone wrong, but they just need a little bit of repointing uh, in the right direction. Um, and so, you know, it all starts with the relationship. Um, I, I've often dealt with a huge number of different sorts of commercial disputes, and I, I keep coming back to this conclusion, actually, that in business, what really matters is who you do business with. If you do business with the right people, then you're on track actually for a happier life and a more peaceful life. Um, yeah. deal, dealing with the right people, people you trust, people your your interests are aligned with, and so on and so forth. But if you if you if you get that wrong, then you know you can find yourself in a one way street to conflict. Yeah. I believe I believe that um, you know every dispute has a resolution. It's yeah. just that sometimes one of the two parties in that dispute don't want to find that resolution. They haven't been incentivized yet sufficiently to, to want to get that resolution. But there is a resolution. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there's the old uh, there's the old adage as well, you know, that you, you can't negotiate with a terrorist. Although, you know, you've seen you've seen plenty of opportunity for for folk trying to negotiate with with certain certain people um that, that are of that um, that ilk, you know, and and of course, you know, there are there are um, you know, academic research papers on those those particular types of disputes as well, you know. And um, and of course, Sorry, negotiations. So it is, you know, from all ends of the spectrum, you know, um, relationships ultimately are the key to to, to building rapport and and, and success uh, commercially as as well otherwise. Um, Fraser, any thoughts on on that? Yeah, I think again, we we do talk about relationships a lot on these podcasts, and I think because we have David on this, I would like to add that I also think that dispute is key to to getting to a, a successful point in a deal. And by that, I mean, that I think dispute's essential. I think it's inevitable. Um, I, I don't think you can fully trust someone until you until you figure out problems together. I think if everything's all rosy and you just always agree on anything, then you never quite understand. And I think if you if we think to personal relationships, perhaps when we were younger, you know, the time you had the first big fallout, you know, if you manage to get past the big fallout, that's where you know, maybe, okay, maybe there's something a bit more to this relationship. And I think that's important that, you know, we're going to have to have disagreements and fallouts and arguments. And sometimes those are explosive. Um, sometimes people shout. Um, sometimes people get really emotional about it because they don't like these things. And, you know, in that, in that uncomfort, we often then find one people's kind of true colours and what they really mean and really want out of things and that actually I think people are more honest when they're in a position of dispute 
um, than, than when they're not. Um, because they, they will then truly tell you what they want out of something. And I think by building those relationships, certainly before a dispute happens, it allows us to then identify exactly what will move that needle. So if we have a fallout, although yeah. it might look as though it was around a certain topic, often it's actually something completely different. And sometimes it's because um, the other side are nervous, are inexperienced, um, or perhaps they're they're stressed because there's something happening in their day job. Because you know when we're doing these negotiations, everyone still has a day job to do. Um, and I think the relationship is in understanding what's really going on, but being able to talk and have a constructive dispute, argument, fallout, whatever you want to call it, and then get to the point where we're in a better position after the fallout than we were in bef before it. And I think, David, that's, uh, you know, where you've probably spent, you know, many, many, um, you know, hours and weeks and months of your life um, over your career in moving businesses to a position beyond where they were through the dispute process. So I think as much as relationships are important, I would argue that, um, that disputes are also um, critical to moving things forward. Well, can I just pick up on a couple of themes there, uh, Fraser? I totally agree with you. I think that I, I, when you talk about the inevitability of disputes, I mean, I do think that disputes between people are inevitable. Disputes between companies are inevitable. Um, and we shouldn't regard them necessarily as being a bad thing. Um, I, I'm kind of remembering something I learned many, many years ago about team building. I think it goes something like this, you know, uh, forming, norming, storming, performing. Is that something like that? And, something like and, that, you know, yeah. Yeah, in, in that, there is this storming bit, and, and there has to be the storming. Before you can settle down, you need to, in, in, a, in a true relationship with people, you've, you've got to scrape away that polite veneer and, and get to the get to the, the nitty grit, the core of the relationship that you're going to have. Yeah. And that will take a little bit of settling down, a little bit of push and shove, perhaps um, different people push and shove in different ways. But I think I totally agree with you. I think there is an inevitability uh, of conflict. But as with uh, conflict uh, and so many other areas of life, it's not getting yourself into bother that matters. It's how you deal with the bother once you're in it that really, really will, will be the mark of the man. And I think that's where you know people like myself come in. And that brings me on to my second theme, really, which is that if you don't know what your objective is in a conflict, get out of it. Don't don't get into it. Yes. So so define your objective. Focus on what really matters. And as I think you've alluded to, Fraser, sometimes people get into a conflict thinking it's about you know X, Y, and Z, but it's not really about that at all. There, there's a there's a deeper there's something deeper going on. And I think you've got to strip all that out. You've got to deconstruct the, the causes of the conflict and then put it all back together again and ask the client and, uh, to, 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 to really define what he or she thinks this is all about and what their objectives are and what their motivations are. Before you talk about risk analysis and that kind of thing, that's what you have to do. And, I, and I've been, you know, disputes, unfortunately, can go on and on and on. And, and there have been many occasions when I've had to revisit objectives and say, you know, when we started this, our objectives were A, B, C, and D. Are these still our objectives? Has has this crept into something else? Has it has it changed its form, or or are we still um, loyal to these particular objectives? 
And I think, you know, looking at some of the deals over over the piece, you know, uh, and of course, knowing that, um, that, that there is a huge degree of emotion involved with like selling your business. It's such a huge time in someone's life, particularly someone who's maybe uh, only, uh, you know, uh, recently considered selling a business or if it's been in the, the family for a long, long time. And, um, you know, it, it could be uh, that uh, they're, they're very inexperienced at selling. Um, and of course, the they're then in a, in a situation where they're, they're having to trust people that they, they they might have not had a relationship with or they do have a relationship with, but their expertise isn't in, you know, acquisitions or isn't in, you know, um, it, it, it isn't, they're, they're 40, essentially. And, uh, and you know, then they, they get tripped up during the process, uh, whether, whether that's uh, th through the process itself or through the emotional aspects of it. So I'd like to sort of just delve a little bit deeper into that, you know, and um, and talk about you know the di the different uh, dispute resolutions that you can have on the commercial side and how the emotional aspects uh, can can uh, trigger uh, different uh, different outcomes. Yeah, good. So so well, most most um, commercial documents nowadays, whether it's a sale and purchase agreement or an asset purchase agreement or whatever, or a commercial contract, will have something in it dealing with dispute resolution. Um, yeah. And of course, disputes can be resolved um, through uh, courts. Um, you know, we can talk about that. Um, they can be resolved through arbitration. And of course, we have um, since 2010, uh, I think, very workable legislation in Scotland that sets a, a really helpful framework for arbitration. Um, and um, it, the, there's also um, the possibility of something called expert determination, and I've been involved in quite a few of those. I've got one on the go at the moment. It's particularly useful where the, um, the subject matter of the dispute is, is a technical matter, you yeah. know, something that engineers would know about or something that uh, intellectual property people would know about, and it's all very technical. Getting a court to resolve a problem like that is possibly maybe not the best idea. Maybe going to an independent expert who is a, a you know a kind of grey hair Cicero of his field uh, might be might be the, the best way forward. And then of course some people um, uh, are, are great fans of mediation um, as as a way of resolving disputes. And um, there's there's formal mediation, but of course there's also informal mediation, a kind of negotiation. Um, and uh, that can also be helpful too. So there is quite a, a large smorgasbord of, of options available to you. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting that I've been involved in, um, in, in cases where the contract has said that if there's a dispute, you go to arbitration, but the parties have been mature enough to be able to say to each other, well, we agreed that at the time for good reason, but now that we're in this dispute, it actually seems that it's more logical to go to uh, an expert determination rather than arbitration and then you simply agree that you vary the document and off you go and you get your expert to determine whatever technical issue that is, is in dispute yeah i, I think that, that you know if, if you look at the different levels of escalation of of dispute resolution as well you know sometimes mediation for example is the right forum um, and sometimes you're know, going straight to court is the right forum as well and and i guess that the parties during the, the process of uh, coming through a commercial deal you know they they'll agree the the different levels of escalation and uh, and of course you know it, it depends on the appetite as well of of each um, you know i have i've been um, in, in in places where uh, you know the, the risk appetite is no. We'll just go straight to court. We, we don't we don't mess about with uh, with arbitration and um, mediation. You know arbitration is really costly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So 
Uh, but then court actions really costly as well. So, you know, you, you want to avoid these things if you can do. But at the end of the day, you know, when disputes happen, you know, and you can't get a resolve, then you need that independent party looking in on it. But, uh, you know, as you say, David, there is a huge scope now uh, with having more technical expertise uh, looking in on on the, the, the deal or what have you and, and coming to some sort of understanding from the technical aspect and uh, and and doing that so you know there's there's uh, plenty of options out there for for the different types of of dispute resolution and you know uh, the commercial agreements generally will point you in the right direction um you know we'll, we'll just we'll just go through the, the the journey the deal journey then uh, for someone looking to sell their business uh, you know they you know, they start off with with perhaps an nda not always but certainly um, it's it's quite prudent to have an nda in place uh, when you're you're putting forward um, all your confidential information to a potential buyer, um, so so an NDA, if a dispute happens at the NDA stage, um, you know what sort of uh, things happen at that stage, David? Um, well, I I would tend to suggest that if a dispute happens at this stage, then the the deals the deal's not going to be one that really you want to continue with. Um, yeah. uh, probably a warning sign that you and the and the purchaser are not going to gel. Um, and, and to be fair, we usually find, um, you know, we usually find that people go into um, a potential purchase situation with the right intention. Um, you know, very few people out there go in with the wrong intention. Everybody, you know, wants to do the right thing. And, and so we don't really tend to find too much difficulty at that stage. I mean, a mature purchaser will recognise that uh, they can't be given uh, commercially sensitive uh, uh, information. Uh, with, without giving some kind of undertaking or, or commitment in relation to that. Um, yeah. So so we don't really find there to be too much um, uh, dis dispute about the principle. Where dispute can, of course, arise is to do, or, or differences can arise, maybe I shouldn't use the word dispute, is, is where uh, is to do with the detail. Yeah. And, and the workings of the, the NDA, the length of time uh, that it should uh, stay in existence for and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, normally, you know, you you would generally see, you know, anywhere between three and five years. It can be as low as one, you know. But you know, it it just depends on the appetite, you know, of uh, of of the individuals involved. But you're right, you know, and, and sometimes there are just differences that you that you can somehow agree. Um, okay, so moving on from the NDA, and you've 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 got past that stage quite quickly. Uh, you know, you've, you've got commercially aware advisors on both sides, uh, but there seems to be a, a a bit of a dispute on the commercial terms. You know what? What's your 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 views on that? So um, I, I'd be assuming that the that lawyers are involved for for both parties. Um, yeah. You know, not not always, but I, I would assume that there's the usual tax advisors, accountants, and and lawyers involved. So there's usually a team. Um, and um, you know, I, again, probably using the word dispute is a bit strong. Um, there will be differences. Um, and, um, you know, going back to what Fraser said earlier about, you know, uh, disputes being being inevitable, it's inevitable when you're trying to negotiate something of complexity that there will be differences. Um, and as part of the, the kind of getting to know the purchaser and, and the purchaser getting to know the seller, um, there's going to be a little bit of push and shove, whether it's driven by egos or whether it's driven by genuine values or whatever principles, um, there is going to be a little bit of push and shove. Um, you know, at the end of the day, an agreement is a compromise, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. An agreement which is one way is not really an, agree an agreement. It's got to be. It's got to be something that a willing buyer wants and a willing seller wants. Uh, and most negotiations are, of course, conducted on that basis that we will get to a place where everybody's happy. 
Yeah, and I, and I do think on the commercial term side, you know, because because they're not binding at that point, it's it's, a, it's an agreement of the high level information before you then go into the next stages, which are become increasingly more binding. Um, Fraser, sorry, you were waiting to say something there. Yeah, it was just on on the kind of NDA and, and kind of heads of terms or, or commercial terms um, part of the, the, the journey and in my experience and I, I'm not from a legal profession, so this is just an hour doing deals ourselves. Um, disputes at this stage, I feel, and I'd like your input on this, um, or your opinion on this, it feels as though they come, one, from inexperience, because they're not overly important documents. And I, I don't mean that heads of terms aren't important. Of course they are. But nothing's set in stone at that point. So to have a, a, a real dispute at the point of certainly at an NDA stage or at heads of terms, I feel either comes from a place of inexperience where the seller's a bit nervous and not really sure on, on what's happening and then perhaps think that's the deal they're signing, and which of course it's not. Or it maybe comes from not necessarily bad advice, but a lack of proactive advice to say, look, we are going to, there's another couple of stages here before we get to the point where you're presented with a final document that you will sign and that will be the terms of the deal, which will be the, the share purchase agreement. Um, and that will go through a full due diligence process, which can often be quite protracted. Um, so to get really hung up at, at NDA and heads of terms stage, I think you said this right at the start, David, often these deals will not go anywhere. If we're that nervous at that stage, yeah. um, they don't go anywhere. And if, an important point to make, because we hear this a lot, we, we're a buyer, so we hear this a lot from sellers. I'm being told, my, my advisors are saying that they're not quite happy on this point or that point, or they're a bit nervous about this. I think at heads of terms agreement, nobody's advisors are are happy fully or are without nerves. Everybody is is having to take a view on stuff at this point and there will be points that a buyer is conceding and saying look yeah, in an ideal world that wouldn't be the case but I'm, I'm going to live with that and I'm happy that we progress under those terms so for a seller to think they're the only one who's getting the advice that there's um there's perhaps different ways to do things or advisors aren't 100 percent happy that's on both sides and you know, only, as you say, David, only through compromising and taking a view on things and kind of moving forwards can these deals ever be done or we'll never move them forward. And I always say, Fraser, there's, there's only there's only one thing worse than, than, than no deal, and, and that's the wrong deal. So if yeah. you're going to do a deal, you want it to be the right deal, and it has to be the right deal for the buyer and the seller. So, you know, there is no shame in walking away, whether yes. heads of terms stage or, or or otherwise. I mean, if you think about just trying to buy anything, you know, do you, do you, do you often, I mean, do, do you always get your first offer accepted? No, you don't. <laughs> you know, if you try and buy a house, you probably have to bid for three or, three or four houses before you get one. And and it's the same with companies. I mean, there's, there's, there could be a, a succession of different potential purchasers coming along, signing NDAs, looking at the company, and for some reason or other, just deciding not to take it forward. And there's no great shame in that. Yeah, and I think I think you you, you mentioned um, dispute objectives earlier, David. I think that's a good point to make actually. That as much as one, you should know what your own objectives are when you're you're entering a dispute. I think, and I come from a communications background. I also think that the other side should have an understanding of what your 
dispute objectives are because if they don't it feels like arguing for the sake of arguing and often then we just walk away and the deal doesn't get done and that's because you look and think what do they actually want what do they expect us to do and with a lack of understanding or expectation it, there's not really much place to move and um, other than to walk away from a deal and that's a real shame when it comes down to a communication problem just to say this is what I want. This is why I'm having a dispute with you. Can we get it? Yes or no? And let's move forward. And, and of course, life is too short and advisors' fees are too expensive to spend yep. time arguing about things that you don't need to argue about. Yep. Uh, you, you know, I like people who uh, keep things simple, keep it straight, deal with what's important and get it done. That, that's right. I could... I couldn't agree more with that as well. I mean, you know, at the sort of NDA um, commercial terms, heads of term stage, it's almost like, you know, that that uh, if I can use the, the purchase of a car as an analogy, you know, as, as an example, you know, it's almost like the desktop analysis. You went on, you know, you've, you've seen it on, you know, uh, one of these forums that you can get the cars on. You've, you've went through that and, and everything looks absolutely, you know, exactly what you want. Now, the the next stage is what we'll talk about about soon is uh, is obviously getting under the bonnet of the car you know really going through it making sure you know that uh, the engine's working right you know that the the mechanics within the car are fine you know all the 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 bells and whistles are all working correctly as well uh, and of course because that that will reflect on the price and of course that's when you get to you know you're um, doing your due diligence and of course when you get to doing the, the SPA or an APA, you get to that stage um, in the deal and, uh, and you're, you're, you've do, you're doing your due diligence. Uh, uh, usually these things run in conjunction. You're doing both at the same time um, to quicken up the deal. Um, you know, some, sometimes disputes happen then. So, so David, what, what happens when it starts getting a, a, a bit more serious into these, um, the, the, you're actually, you know, they are, you know, going through through the, the mechanics of the business and the financials. What happens then when there's a dispute? So actually quite often, uh, Paul, the seeds of future conflict are sown at the point of due, due diligence. Um, and it's really, really important, of course, that sellers in particular understand what it is due diligence is all about. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they do in, in a kind of theoretical sense, but they've really got to understand what disclosure means. Um, yeah. Everybody's got to be on the same page with that one, because if not, then what's going to happen is that the purchaser is going to realise later on there's a misunderstanding about something which ought to have been disclosed or was only partially disclosed or whatever. Uh, and they're going to look for the, the warranties and the indemnity clauses in the contract, which will inevitably be there. Uh, and you've got a post-sale dispute. Um, so, I mean, that's more about disputes later, but, but, but where they have their origins and their genesis uh, at the due diligence stage. Yeah, so it's so it's it's getting these things right before you then uh, move on to completion and, and po any post completion issues. Uh, sorry, Fraser, you were going to say something. Yeah, you just just to go back to your your car analogy. I think you're right. You know, we there is the under the hood stuff, um, and that's the due diligence. But you know, with all the will in the world, you are not going to take the entire car apart and check every single nut and bolt of the car. So there can be a problem that cannot really be foreseen. And David, you mentioned warranties and indemnities there, and that's what they're for. But to what degree can you warranty and indemnify the deal? And at what point will then the other side just say, I'm not accepting it? You, you, you can't fully indemnify 
a deal, can you? Is that, is that correct? Am I right there? Well, I mean, you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, because there has to be an element of, you know, the, I'm assuming that the, the purchaser is a grown-up, uh, you know, adult and um, is a commercial animal, um, so they have to take on board risk too. They can't expect somebody else to shoulder all the risk. That just doesn't strike me like a, a fair deal. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, that there has to be a, a huge degree of uh, pragmatism and, uh, you know, making sure that the, the buyer, you know, is it has risk appetite, is, is catered for, and along with the seller's risk appetite as well. But, you know, there, there's no such thing as a risk-free deal on either side. You know, the, the, there's just no real yeah. such thing. You can mitigate those risks somewhat, especially known risks, you know, you, you can, but, you know, things that come out of the blue, I mean, you know, COVID's a, a, an example of that, you know, you could have had a business that was running, you know, absolutely fine up until when COVID hit and then, you know, they, they may have gotten into distress, um, but then, you know, you, you don't know, you don't know that these things, these external things could end up happening that have a you know, massive impact on that business. So from a buyer's perspective, you know, there, there are things that will come out of the blue and you've just got to, you just got to roll up your sleeves. Um, and, uh, but there, there are known risks that, you know, it could be, uh, there, there could be an issue within the, the 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 actual uh, business itself and and you you express that as a seller you say look I, we know about this issue and these are the risk mitigation strategies that we've had however you know we're, we're open to to other uh, risk mitigation strategies that you you guys want to propose so there are things what what generally gets me a bit upset is when you've got a really um you know about a, an issue and you've left it to quite far on into to the due diligence process as a seller and you've not disclosed that and then eventually comes out because obviously when you're starting to look through these things they d generally do come out that's when it's it gets a bit you know a bit upsetting because what you've done is as a buyer and you've done as a seller is you've spent quite a lot of money to get to this this point um, in general terms so it can be a bit of an issue when you're not address, you know, doing things in good faith and addressing these things early, so you can you can come to some sort of arrangement uh, and, and agree that uh, prior to getting right into the the SPA sort of uh, APA stage. Sorry, yeah, I think Paul, a skilled advisor would would play a role in avoiding that uh, kind of last minute disclosure of of something um, something which is is, is potentially uh, off putting. Um, and, I, and I think that, um, um, you know, that sort of situation is, is not uncommon, um, but I would expect an advisor to, to communicate up front with the client uh, mm -hmm. about the sorts of things that are likely to be important to the purchaser. So, yeah. you know, whatever it is, if it's, if it's potential claims by customers under warranties or, or if it's bad debts in the debt list or, you know, something of that nature, you, you know, I would expect the, the lawyer and the accountants to be saying to the, the client, you, you know, tell us, you need to tell us because it will come out. Yeah, and and that's it, you know, and and, and I, t I talk about good faith quite a lot because that, you know, if, if you're entering into these things in good faith, that when you're getting to these stages, you know, you really need to be, to be airing all that prior to getting right into the nitty gritty because these are certain things that could put a buyer off completely, or it could be a case of uh, because because of the just the fact that you've not disclosed it, um, that that can put them off completely. But it could also it could swing the other way if you disclose it early, then you you could have a strategy already in place for when you're uh, when you're going to do this as part of part of it. So you know it, it can become a real win-win, um, you know, because you've you've dealt with it together, and of course that helps bind those relationships as 
uh, Fraser was was uh, speaking about earlier as well. Um, you know, so we move on to post completion. Um, you know, completion, post completion disputes and and, and shareholder disputes. What um, you know, what's what's your thoughts on on, on these types of disputes? So um, where, where I've been involved mainly um, is 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 in is in disputes after the sales after the sale has gone through and um, yeah. the purchaser has realized that something has not been disclosed or um, some uh, some warranty um, has not been met um, and then the claim begins um, yeah. and um, you know I have been involved in a lot of these in the past and um, they're never pleasant no. You know, never pleasant because the, the the seller the seller's sole objective is to is to get the money in pay their tax bank the money and move on to a better life and the, the last thing they want is to be dragged into a, a post sale dispute and have yeah. to have to um, fund that um, and you know, it's it's even worse where the the sellers are a family. And you've got, you know, um, the main shareholder, but also his wife's a shareholder and the children are shareholders and all these people are thrown into this dispute because they're all being sued under under the indemnities and under the warranties. Um, and that can be a very, very unpleasant situation for all concerned. Yeah. And, and I guess then, you know, it's it's how, how do you try and avoid these these particular uh, types of dispute? And, uh, you know, again, I, I think if you're you're entering into things in good faith, then generally that that can can help and, and you know, bind those relationships together to be able to get find the solutions. But of course, you know, there are other solutions like, you know, insurance and things like that. What, what's your 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 general thoughts on those? Um, well, I think my general thoughts are, are really reflective of, of my general thoughts about litigation, that if you're going to get involved in litigation, I mean, you always have a choice, you know, to fight or not to fight. And, and in life, you have to choose your battles. You, you cannot fight every single battle. Uh, you know, and I'm sure every parent uh, has that view with, with, with toddlers. You know, you, you, can, you cannot possibly uh, fight, fight every single little battle that, you, that comes along. So you need to choose. And, and there is choice here. I mean, they have um, a choice to make. Do we, do we just do a deal and get rid of this problem throw some money at it or or whatever make amends in some way even if we don't think we're at fault on a pragmatic level is that the best way to deal with it or are we prepared to commit and if we're prepared to commit then there's the whole range of issues that arise that i think arise in any dispute there's risk assessment risk analysis there's uh, cost benefit analysis um, you, you know, there's there's also, well, there may be reputational issues, there may not in this kind of situation, but there may be reputational issues arising. Um, and um, there's there's issues such as um, not just the cost in financial terms, but the, the cost in human terms. Management time, for example, on the purchaser side, if they're now trying to run a company, they've just taken over um, and they're, they're now... Uh, you know, business is all about looking forward, isn't it? It's all about looking forward positively about the things that you guys can achieve in the future. And that's that's what business is all about. Litigation is all about looking back in anger. And it's quite hard to look back in anger and to look forward positively. It, yeah. It's difficult to do both. I mean, that Janus approach, it doesn't really work. Uh, and the and the hidden cost of litigation is is really pretty horrendous. Um, yeah. In terms of management time, lost opportunity, and that sort of thing, and and that's the sort of issue that, that people need to to um, consider um, when they're looking at their options. It shouldn't be just a, a kind of default to to fight mode. It should be a considered approach, looking at risk and, and costs and, and so on. 
and that you know, I talk about it quite a lot in these podcasts. That's where your you know your your commercially aware advisor you know is 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 worth their weight because obviously with with vast amount of experience on these things, you know. Uh, what's worth fighting and what's worth not fighting about? Uh, you know, intrinsically through all the all those years of experience, generally they 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 will have an understanding of that. And then, of course, then it's up to the business owner as to what risk and appetite that they they've got. And of course, as well, what what financial clout as well, because some of these, as as you quite rightly mentioned there, David, some of them uh, go into you know um, you know certainly significant amounts of money. Um, in kind as well as you know uh, the the actual money for your legal fees etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's and you may get some of that back you know um, if if you win if you're successful but it's it's quite likely that you know all your in kind time as well particularly if it goes through the courts for for many years or arbitration or might have this phased uh, escalation mediation and arbitration then the courts so you're talking it could end up being hundreds of thousands if not millions of pounds for certain deals and um, it's, uh, it's certainly a huge consideration for for business owners uh, if they're looking to go down a dispute um, you know, and, and of course of course many many indemnity clauses are capped um, a well-drafted indemnity clause would hopefully have a cap on it um, and, and that already sets the, the, the kind of framework for the, 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 value, the value of the claim or the liability in the claim. Um, and th that should therefore give a sensible advisor the opportunity to say to the client, well, here, here's your downside. Yeah. If you just roll over, you know, th this, is your, this is your potential you know, maximum downside. But if you, if, you, if you fight it, your downside is, is the cap plus yeah. everything else we've discussed. Yeah. And... and uh, Sorry, Fraser. Sorry, I think yeah, just I think you know, there's loads of there's loads of kind of really important things to to talk about. There. I think what I would like to do from a from a layman's perspective, from not a legal perspective, is just to put some context and and perspective onto some of these things that we've discussed because some of them are very scary, especially when we're talking about you know limits to um, to indemnities and and things like that. Certainly, we. We hope that we never ever end up at these points, and I understand, David, why. Why you you know you live in that world where you're at that stage, so you know I, I completely appreciate why that's important. But your comment about don't look back in anger, um, one I'm going to have that song stuck in my head now for the rest of the day. <laughs> but um, I think as a seller, you don't want to look back in anger and think I've let a deal break down over a point that was made by my advisor that would most likely never, ever happen. I appreciate why an advisor has to make their client aware of these things, but quite often we find that the advisors actually don't, they don't qualify that with anything. They don't, they don't say, by the way, in my whole career it's happened once, or the likelihood of it happening is perhaps, you know, 1% or, um, you know, if it does happen, it will it will be a, a small problem rather than a big problem. Because um, when you're going through the sale of your business, I think it's one of those times that you are a bit, you're quite fragile almost because there's so much going on. And, and the, the, you know, these comments actually have quite a big effect on the, the people, the person that's selling. And, you know, we, we know that these deals are, are person to person, you know, none of us are robots and we do act often quite irrationally as human beings. And um, so a small comment about, you know, this disaster situation 
can petrify some sellers to the point that that they just they let a, they allow a deal to break down. Um, and, and David, do you, do you believe that it is the role of the advisor to to qualify the likelihood of these problems? So I, I absolutely do think that um, that's just part of being a good advisor. Uh, whether yeah. we want to attach the label of you know commercially um, aware advisors or or not, that's just being a good advisor. Understanding your client's personality type is very very important. Um, and, you know, there's a really important point to make uh, here, and I don't want to um, to, to get too uh, deeply involved in amateur psychology, but um, a, a very seasoned um, seller of businesses will see it simply in commercial terms. It, it's a deal. You get my company, you get my shares, and I get your money. Thanks very much. Nice to meet you. Have a nice life. And, it, and, and that's it. it. It exists at that emotional level and that yep. emotional level only. In, in reality, of course, most sellers are not seasoned buyers and sellers of businesses um, outside the, the private equity space. They're not. They're people who have invested very heavily their, 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 their capital and their emotional capital in this business. And yes, they're very happy with the price they're getting, but they're still going to go through um, a, a, a process of having to deal with loss because yes. they've lost something. They are no longer that company. And sometimes the company might even have their name in it. Um, yeah. you, you know, it could have, you know, you know and um, I mean, that would all be dealt with, of course, in the, in the SPA, but uh, it could have. And, and, and I don't think we should we should um, underrate the, the importance of what that person is going through. Um, and, and that that loss and that transition can actually be, be so, so the seeds of conflict. Um, the person feels that maybe they, they didn't get the right advice or maybe the other side got the better of them or whatever. And there's a bit of a kick, an emotional kickback. And, and I think I think the key element here is it's right at the start, you know. And I know we've talked about this a few times on the podcast. Is setting those expectations. What are the expectations? And again, I think you mentioned that earlier, David. You know, th thinking what what it's going to look like at the end of here and what your objectives are, because ultimately, as a seller or even as a buyer as well, you've got to ensure that your objectives are, or, or try as much as possible to make sure that your objectives are met, and you should have those objectives in your mind at the very, very start, and of course, eh, speak to your advisors about those. And, you know, if you set expectations early, then of course, you know, and again, you know, if, if you're a seasoned eh, professional at these, you're, you're able to understand what, what, what risks are real risks and what are perceived risks. And and what um, what would be the the, the percentage rate of, of these generally um, uh, going wrong or what have you, and uh, and of course you know and again it, we talked about risk appetite earlier as well you know it depends on what the risk appetite is of the the seller or the buyer and of course as well you know different people have got different risk appetites but there's no such thing as a risk free deal um, and you can try and mitigate as many risks as possible but at the same time you know. Um, there, there's no such thing as a risk-free deal. So both sides have got an element of risk, at the very least, when they go into these deals. So setting those expectations early can help, you know, make sure that a deal goes ahead and ensure that both sides are well aware of those risks before they go into it. Um, just just um, obviously, David, you've got a wealth of experience there as well. Have you got any learning lessons, hints and tips um, over all those years experience? Um, I, I think if you're going to go into a deal, um, you want to do so positively. Um, you, you need to trust, but don't over-trust. Um, yep. You need to pick your advisors very carefully, I think. 
Um, I, I think you can probably assume that, that all advisors will have similar levels of technical skill, but actually it's the extra bit that you're paying for that's really, really important. It's, it, it's, it's, it's whether you gel with that advisor, whether you are on the same page, uh, whether he or she communicates with you in, in ways that you understand um, and feel comfortable with. Um, because I think if you get that wrong, then um, you're going to have a very bumpy ride and you'll probably end up with uh, an SPA that you didn't really understand um, entirely um, because the level of communication just wasn't right. So I, I think um, choosing your advisors is really, really important and I, I don't think you should choose in price. Now, some people would say, of course, well, you would say that, David, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I would, but not for the reasons that a cynic might think. I, yeah. I think that, you know, you, you do get what you pay for in life. And, um, you know, I, I conduct my affairs on that basis that I don't ever go for the cheapest. Uh, I think you go for the best and whatever you mean by best. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with that as well. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes these are, are, are the most... Um, uh, you know the most the biggest deals of a person's life if they're a seller and you know they, they do need to have instead of maybe going with the lawyer that does their you know um does their sort of corporate governance and things like that who perhaps has not done uh, any m a deals you know instead of doing that going with someone with not much experience they're better going with someone who's had like that 30 years experience in the field and of course knows exactly um, where the potential pitfalls are and like that help guide them through that process and set those expectations early. So that's a, that's a great point. Uh, Fraser, sorry, were you ready to say something there? No, I, th I think, I think you know, I, in a very fortunate position where I get to be involved in these podcasts on a weekly basis and listen to the advice. I don't think I'd ever thought I would speak to so many lawyers. Um, but it's, <laughs> One, it's it's reassuring because there's so many common themes that come through it. So, um, you know, someone must be telling the truth if they're all saying the same thing. So, um, look, the the advice is always great, and we would they really appreciate your time coming on to to the podcast. So, you know, thanks again for that. And I, I think anyone selling their business, it's you know, you're going to do due diligence on the business or do your own due diligence on your own business before you start to sell it I think because the other side are going to do it anyway so like it's almost like that kind of opposition research isn't it do that and turn the the sights on yourself and you know get a team of guys in the office to have a look and say what are our weaknesses where are we going to have to answer maybe quite difficult questions and have an answer ready for it um and I think it it probably does a, a it'll do the seller a lot of good to be in a quite positive mindset where they feel in control um yeah. because it, a position where you know with 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 complete respect to sellers when you bring in expert advisors you are the the dumbest person in the room for want of a better phrase when it comes to the the, the sale process because you've never done it before normally um you know so if you can do a little bit have a look around, do due diligence on your own business, maybe your own self personally, to make sure you're prepared for it. You'll just feel better about it. And, you know, the, the emotional bit won't hit you as hard if you kind of get in the right frame of mind beforehand. And I think for me, disputes come from that point where someone's maybe taken a bit of a, a bit of a body blow emotionally, um, you know, that they weren't quite prepared for. And it's a it's a reaction. It's a reaction to feeling bad 
Um, but I think if you can prepare a bit mentally, then um, you'll be in a much better place. So, David, just uh, just in closing, how can uh, business owners contact you? Um, well, uh, Turk and Connell's website, um, www.turkandconnell.com, um, and um, also just Google my name, David Ogilvy, Ogilvy spelled with a Y at the end, O-G-I-L-V-Y, uh, and my email address is david.ogilvy at turkandconnell.com. That's great. So thank you very much for your time today, David. It's very much appreciated. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it as well. And of course, to our very own Fraser Kirk as well. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of The Selling Sessions. Thanks, as always, to host Paul McGilvery and this week's guest, David Ogilvy of Turk and Connell. A quick shout-out goes to podcast sponsor Affinity Business Centre. It's a co-working space in the heart of Dundee's industrial quarter, and many of our episodes are filmed in the studio here. We always enjoy being in this space, and if you need office space, visit affinitybusinesscentre.com. Remember to subscribe to The Selling Sessions so you never miss an episode, and tweet us at United Capital with your questions, your thoughts or your suggestions and we'll see you next week.